hey, we're not in a recession, but although we're experiencing everything that a recession normally does? It makes no fucking... What, what is wrong with the world? Why is everybody so much denial about a recession? Recessions aren't a bad thing for everybody. I know it sounds bad. Right. Oh my God, recession, everybody lose their jobs? No. A lot of people do. Yes. But right now, unemployment is still low. This is that positive stuff, everybody. Those of you requested, this is for you. Unemployment is still very low. Mm-hmm. Jobs are still strong. Wages are still strong. Right. Yeah, we might have a very different look at a recessionary economy, or it could get worse. Nobody knows for sure. But I'll tell you one thing. It's either a recession or it's not. It's not a slow session. It's not a soft landing. We might, we might not avoid a full-out recession. It's all a recession. Yeah. Okay? That's don't, what it is. Don't always trust everything you hear. Trust sometimes the things that you see. The Fed raised interest rates seven times last year. Yep. Okay. That's at a historically fast pace. Never been done before. Mm -hmm. Right? Never have they done 75 basis points back to back to back to back. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Higher Standard Podcast, where we give you ultra-premium, unfiltered truth when it comes to building your wealth and curating the lifestyle of your dreams. No games, no drama, and no shenanigans. I am your host, Chris Nahibi, and I'm here to help you distill the immense amount of information and disinformation out there on the interwebs and give you the opportunity to choose a higher standard for yourself. There are no gurus here, and no one gives a damn about how wealthy you look. I'm an attorney and a banker, amongst other things. Does that mean you should listen to me? Hell no. This is just full disclosure that while we talk about money, wealth, law, investing, and a lot of related topics, you should always speak to your own advisors for an opinion tailored to your unique investment perspective. I am obligated to tell you that nothing contained in this show is in fact legal or investment advice and is being provided solely for entertainment purposes. So sit back, Relax your mind and get ready for a different kind of podcast where we elevate your baseline in crispy, high-resolution audio. This isn't a different standard. It's the higher standard. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Yeah. I come out with enthusiasm. That's what you give me is you give me a yeah? Well, that's what Sultry does. Oh, God. That's, can we do this over? Okay. <laughs> Should we do this over? <laughs> that's terrible. <laughs> All right. Well, it has been an exciting week in the financial news markets. We have a ton of information to share with you. And I'm not sure we're going to get through all of it in this particular episode, particularly because I happen to be pissed off and I'm going to rant on some of these topics. Cannot wait. Let's go. Could you pick your enthusiasm up a little bit? Like, I feel like I'm on like 10 and you're on like a two. Well, one of us has to balance the other one out. Okay. Well, speaking of tens and twos. <laughs> The treasuries. We talked about the 10-year treasury and the two-year treasury and the inverted yield curve. I saw what you did there. The two-year treasury and the 10-year treasury. Bang. The current two-year treasury note is at a 4.49, and the 10-year treasury is at a 3.714%. That's as of today. Nothing special about today, but we do have some interesting things happening in the economy, and yet the yield curve is still inverted. And for those of you who are new to the show... The yield curve inversions typically precede recessionary economies, and essentially all of them historically, but it is absolutely one of those indicators that no one's really talking about because it's just been inverted for so long at this point. Exactly. It's a telltale sign that th- this is going to happen. Telltale sign. Yeah. Enthusiasm level is still a two. Come on now. Come on, bro. Pick it up. <laughs> okay. Do I drink, drink something. You, <laughs> what do you want to do here? Don't do okay? this. I'm trying to balance you out because I know what's coming. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's just, let's just forego the foreplay. The reason why I'm talking about the, the treasuries is I want you to know that this is where we're at now. And I know that a lot of what we talk about on the show is 
about things that can be perceived to be negative. Yes. Right. We have been getting some of those comments. Yeah. And I've had a couple conversations with people who have been real good fans of the show, listen to the show. And, and I totally respect where they're coming from that they feel that there's valuable information coming from the things that we're talking about, but they, they would like to see some, some positive spin on things. Right. And for those of you, I would say, damn, (laughs) (laughs) that's a tall order, but let me explain why. Okay. Is it's not because I don't want to see positive things in the economy. It's just because that's not the news right now. I, we promise you, we'll be the first one to pop the champagne bottles when there's a little bit of good news. I actually wanted to get like a nice bottle of champagne and write end of recession on it. And for that episode that we that we do, we drink the bottle of champagne. I actually have the bottle when, at the house that I can bring. The Andy Warhol bottle? Yes. Of Dom? Yes. That I gave you. Yeah, as a house as a gift. gift. As a housewarming gift that yeah. I'm willing to use on you. You no, what a you good friend. Gifting it. What a good what a good friend I, I am. I told you to drink. I could have used that on a number of occasions. Isn't that a 2012 bottle? Yes. No, is it? Anything 10 years? I think it's older than that. No. Well, you gave it to me when it was expired? God damn. What kind of friend are you? It doesn't expire. I gave it to you in the optimum year to drink it. Champagne at 10 years. You you told me to save it for the right cause. In 2022. No. Come on. I was very explicit. All right. Well, we'll use it ASAP. You're a terrible human being. Well, so I bring all this up to say, look, this is where the markets are at. There's indicators like this that are out there that are clearly indicative of a recessionary economy that is looming or that we're currently in one. I have always been of the mindset that we're in one, but neither here nor there. What I will say is, is look, there are a lot of positive things you can get out of this show, even though we talk about negative things. Right. And one of those positive things is that this all precedes a changing landscape, which will make a lot of people very wealthy. Mm-hmm. If people can listen to the show and master the skill sets that we're talking about, not necessarily going out and buying a property or you know rehabilitating your credit, but understanding the markets as we talk about them, mm-hmm. you will improve your awareness of what's going on around you. And vis-a-vis this awareness, you will be able to make better financial decisions and obviously improve your wealth over time. And as you continue to listen to the show, you'll start to pick up on the trends. That's the whole point of this whole thing. Right. The whole thing is supposed to be engaging from a comedic perspective it's still educational enough and hopefully give you some things that you're not aware of that you go and do some work on your own to try to find out more about or you just listen to as many of our shows as possible and we break some of these things down over with over time and you'll get some of that vis-a-vis osmosis if you will but just listening to the show you'll take it in bits and pieces here and there and get intrigued by something enough to want to go in and do additional research and then pose a question when we listen those Q and A sessions. And we got a lot of questions today. I'm not even sure we can get to those. Or we can't show. get to the Q and A's. We'll probably get to them on the next episode. I don't know. I'm, I'm optimistic that we will. Really? I'm optimistic. That we Another will. thing that the show provides is um, we like to call out people that you probably shouldn't listen to. <sighs> I'm going to take a, a, a little <laughs> pause right now and say if, <laughs> if my expletive field rage has offend anybody, particularly anybody whose last name is Zandy, then you should probably fast forward for about 10 minutes. Honestly, I I cannot I couldn't stand this guy before, but now it's reached a whole new level. All right. Well, according to Fortune, Mister has now coined yet another phrase for absolutely no fucking reason. And I would like to just say, first we had people saying we're going to have a different type of recessionary economy, guys. We're yeah. we're we're gonna we're gonna slowly, gently, we're gonna have a soft landing, right? What, what does that mean? Well, it means absolutely fucking nothing. That's what that means. It means right. nothing. We're going to have a soft landing. It's going to be a soft recession. Right, yeah. We're not going to have a hard landing. It's not going to be a hard recession. And if I were to take a guess, 
It's either a recession or it's not a recession. Right. What I, and what I think people are trying to hint at when they when they talk about it is, you know, the labor market stays strong throughout, right? That it doesn't it doesn't go to like an excess level. Then why don't you say the labor market stays strong throughout? Yeah. Why, why are we labor- making up bullshit terms? Yeah. Exactly. I, I was never a fan of those types of coaches that would like pat kids on the butt and be like, "Hey, it's okay, man. Like you did good. It's a great job. Like everyone gets these." Uh, wow, I don't know if you made that reference anymore, bro. You <laughs> might. I might have to call Adam and replace you. What? <laughs> okay, what, you what, what reference? I don't think you can pat kids on the butt for sports anymore. Oh. <laughs> No, that's obviously not what I was talking about. I do it to grown men now, but I don't think you can do it as a coach. No, but yeah, like Like participation trophies. I'm not. I'm not for that. Don't try to change the subject on the fact that you made some very so like these these participation trophies. I'm just. I don't do participation trophies. Okay, now here's what I don't do. The U.S. might. This is the title of the article, by the way. The U.S. might avoid a full out recession, but get ready for a slow session. Says one of the first economists to predict a 2008 financial crash. Come on, man. The one and only chief economist at Moody's Analytics. And, okay, so he's making up terms like a slow session now. You might be able to avoid a recession. Yeah. But we'll hit a slow session. Yeah, an economic downturn in the U.S. this year is all but guaranteed as the Federal Reserve puts the brakes on the economy and clamps down inflation. And now Zandi... Wants to be the guy who coins a phrase that gets really popular. What pissed me off is it wasn't just Fortune. It was like several other people that that picked this up and ran with this article. And now they start calling this news. They're trying to coin this new phrase of slow session. Mm-hmm. This is absolute bullshit. Does, I've tried to talk to Zandy like three or four times. Mind you, we pay a lot of money for this dude's services, your Moody services, right? Which mm-hmm. he works for. Right. Just to have a conversation like, hey, man, I, I patently disagree with some of the statements you made. Exactly. And I'll give him this. He, w- he was one of the first to call the Great Recession. But look. So was a lot of other people. Peter mm-hmm. Schiff, mm-hmm. he called the Great Recession. Right. You know, PBD, Patrick Bet David, he called the Great Recession. Right. There's a lot of people we talked about in the last episode who, who, who called the Great Recession. Uh, I don't know. You ever seen the movie The Big Short? Yeah, exactly. Right? I mean, so there, there's a lot of people who call. This is not unique to him. What pisses me off to no end is the fact that you're putting out articles, you're giving him this notoriety, this clout, and now he's making up a new term to say, but get ready for a slow session. They might, you might avoid a full out recession, but get ready for a slow session. Let's just unpack that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Just take that from a grant. Just let's just go through this. We might avoid a full out recession. So not a full recession, but we'll get a what does slow that even, session. What does that even mean? So the National Bureau of Economic Research, Enber, doesn't come out and just say, hey, we're not in a recession, but although we're experiencing everything that a recession normally does. It, it makes no fucking, what, what is wrong with the world? Why is everybody so much denial about a recession? Recessions aren't a bad thing for everybody. I know it sounds bad. Right. Oh, my God. Recession. Everybody lose their jobs. No. A lot of people do. Yes. But right now, unemployment is still low. This is that positive stuff, everybody. Those of you requested, this is for you. Unemployment is still very low. Mm -hmm. Jobs are still strong. Wages are still strong. Right. Yeah. We might have a very different look at a recessionary economy, or it could get worse. Nobody knows for sure. But I'll tell you one thing. It's either a recession or it's not. It's not a slow session. It's not a soft landing. We we might not avoid a full-out recession. It's all recession. Yeah. Okay, that's don't, what it is. Don't always trust everything you hear. Trust sometimes the things that you see. The Fed raised interest rates seven times last year. Yep. Okay, that's at a historically fast pace. Never been done before, mm-hmm. right? Never have they done 75 basis points back to back to back to back. We're going back to back. Yeah, and, and then back to back again, yeah. right? <laughs> Jeez. We, we call that the ultra Drake. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The Fed went, the Fed went ultra Drake. And then, so if they're going as fast as ever, what makes you think that anything about that is slow? Wow, our intern pulled up something I did not even know. 
Moody said a slow session, a phrase coined by Zandi's colleague Christian Derritus. Economic growth comes to a near standstill, but never slips into reverse. Unemployment would rise, but not spike. Mm. Given all the recent worries about the economy, such a slow session would come as a relief to many. Recession fears help make the 2022 the worst year for the U.S. stock since 2008. Actually, I'm going to take a sidebar here. Okay. First of all, screw him and his colleague. Let's yeah. just leave it at that. Okay? Yeah. yeah. Hey. That's my official opinion on the matter, okay? <laughs> slow session, my ass. <laughs> I mean, this is the same kind of guy who cheats on his wife and says, baby, I didn't cheat. Right. Okay? Yeah. I just had a conversation in a bedroom. Baby, baby, listen. I didn't call you a bitch. No, no. I said you were like a female dog. Yeah, you you, you were just acting like this kind of a bitch. Yeah, I but said you were... You're not, you're not this bitch. You're a bitch adjacent. Yeah, exactly. Okay? You're almost a bitch, but no, not a bitch. Chris and I are not this guy. We're saying he's this guy. I'm saying that's the kind of guy. Yeah. Listen, this is, this is not my problem, okay? <laughs> okay? Anyway. So somebody hit me up in, online, and I think it was over the YouTube video, and I posted a short talking about how cash, commodities and cash were the best returning asset classes of 2022. Yes. I understand that's a very weird thing for people to hear. Oh my God, cash. And I got this automatic instant spin rhetoric. People pissed off at me saying, and this dude in particular who was like, you don't know what you're talking about. You're giving bad advice. You're trying to give... So first of all, it's a it's like a literally a 30 second like YouTube short. Right. Okay. It, it's supposed to make it be thought provoking and make you go to the research. But mm -hmm. here's the link to the, the article, the source, because I've always got sources for this shit. Always. Right? People are having such a tough time understanding that if you have 14 years of artificial interest rate deflation, unprecedented, followed by seven historic unprecedented Fed interest rate increases, mm -hmm. and one of the most bizarre unicorn-like economies in history. With two more interest rate hikes still to come. Yep, eight and nine. And, that, and everybody's already talking about the Fed moving the terminal rate to 4.8%, possibly above 5%. We called it 5% during last year, frankly, but yeah, whatever. I got more on that later. Do you really? Yep. Oh, so cute of you. Yeah. Love it when you come prepared. Yeah. Bitch, you're bitch adjacent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so he starts coming at me, and people are having this really difficult time that's taking, okay, if the economy's doing all these weird things, maybe doing an untraditional thing like just holding money might give you untraditional results. Right. So we talk a lot about the show about negative things. If you held cash last year, if you did what we told you to do, and this is not me being, yo, I'm right, I'm happy. I'm just saying, like, we told people to hold cash and wait. Not because we knew that it was going to be best return one of the best trading asset classes, but because we thought that people were going to have a great investment opportunity coming up in July of this year. And the longer time people had to hold cash and form that liquidity, the better set they'd be, you know, to make investments. 100%. But it just so happened by happenstance, by sheer coincidence, not skill on Saeed's part, definitely, maybe mine. <laughs> this wound up being one of the best asset classes to hold because the economy was just that weird. Right. People have a really difficult time. Because there's, there's though, there are those who don't have the financial literacy who are just trying to learn. And there are those who who buy into financial dogma mm -hmm. that they're getting preached to in in some form. And generally speaking, that person would be right. Cash is not best put in your mattress. It's not best held in a savings account. You're generally losing money, except for 2022. Right. That was not the case. Not the case. So food for thought, traditional ways of doing things during an economy like this are not always the best ways of doing things. I can understand. I can understand the sentiment, though, that people always feel like they want to do something when they have extra cash laying around, and they want they want to get their money in and invest in and somehow you know profit off it. But like you said, two thousand twenty two was not the year. 
So like I alluded to, there is a looming job, a looming jobs report tomorrow, Friday. And the market has been all abuzz about the updated CPI next week as well. So we're seeing a lot of movement in those treasuries that I talked about, which is why I've been keeping a close eye on them. Right. And for those of you who like to recall some of the things we talked about before, the treasuries are somewhat the precursor to the the 30-year mortgage rates. Mm -hmm. So as the treasuries move, mortgage rates move up as well. So On those those job numbers that are supposed to come out tomorrow, though, but private payroll came out already. And it was high. It was high. rose by 235,000 for the month. It was estimated to only be 153,000 according to ADP. Some of those numbers are the service provider industry grew the most. Leisure and hospitality, 123,000. Professional and business services grew by 52,000. Education and health services added 42,000. The areas that lost uh, some jobs were trade and transportation, natural resources, mining, and financial activities. Hmm. Financial activities. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's awkwardly close to home, isn't it? Right. I mean, you would think that, you know, Goldman Sachs has something to do with that. Yeah, and they got layoffs planned too. But there's still so many more coming, frankly. I think that the the, the entire financial sector is getting going to get hard, hit hard mm-hmm. in Q1, really, really hard. But it's again, coming. another report that came out that did not go well is not what the Fed wanted to see. Yeah, yeah of course. I mean, so the Fed is actively working against these numbers and the numbers aren't moving. Right, not in the direction that they want. So we all we already know that February and March that it's coined that twenty five basis point each, right? So did you see the odds that I posted on this? In the, in the, in the, I did. So, that's why I'm bringing it up. So it's th- called the segue in the industry, my friends. I know, but when you call it a segue, when I say you see the odds, yeah. you kill the conversation, bro. Yeah, like, but you do this every time. When I do it, I kill the conversation. When you do it, it's yeah, because you're bitch adjacent. We come uh, this earlier, bitch adjacent. Yeah. I'm gonna get you back for this. You're a bitch session. So, a bit, yeah, we just coined that phrase, Andy. Yeah, let's send him an email. Yeah. We trademarked bitch session. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. In any event, um, so there are current odds for what happens in May after the 225 uh, Fed interest rate increases have now somewhat been posted. So to to kind of get the backdrop here, we, we all expect February and March, there's going to be a 25 base point increase in each month, right? Right. February 1st, first increase and the second one in March. Right, and we're currently at a... 425 to 4.5% current Fed funds right. rate. So Fed moving the terminal rate to 4.8 is essentially a lock at this point. People are, are pretty much convinced that's going to happen. Yep. So when does when do we get to that 5% terminal rate? Well, the odds of a cut of 25 basis points in May are approximately 8%. Mm-hmm. This is according to CNBC. Staying at 4.8% is 41% in May. Yep. A hike of 25 basis points are 40% in May, and a hike of 50 basis points are 11%. So to put this in perspective, I'm going to add this together a little bit. Mm-hmm. So if we had a hike of 25 or 50 basis points, is a 51% probability. Right. To stay at 4.8 is a 41% probability, and there's only an 8%, small 8% about a cut of 25 basis points, which to me is somewhat shocking because the Fed has been somewhat clear they're not going to cut rates in 2023 at all they've been very very forthcoming with that. they've been very forthcoming with that and the fed minutes came out earlier this week too from the last meeting in december where they hiked it 50 basis points in the in those minutes what came out was participants generally observed that a restrictive policy stance would need to be maintained until the incoming data provided confidence that inflation was on a sustained downward path to two percent which was likely to take some time in view of the persistent and 
unacceptably high level of inflation, several participants commented that historical experience cautioned against prematurely loosening monetary policy. So I'd like to point out for everybody right here, no one said slow session. Nobody. Nobody said slow session. Nobody said soft landing. Nope. They're not. They used normal English in normal terms to say that normal shit was expected to happen. None of the Fed officials thought cutting rates was a good idea. None of them. So to give everybody some perspective on timeline, I think it's important to say that after a Fed meeting, Fed Secretary Jerome Powell will come out and he'll give a commentary, usually mm-hmm. question and answers as well. Yeah. He did that last time. He said all of this very clearly in his statements after the last Fed meeting. And now the Fed minutes have come out, and the minutes are really just notes of what, what was said, who was said, and their thoughts. Right. Just like any other committee that you would have for any other company. Right. You always keep minutes, which talk about what was said, who said it, you know, what was done, who approved right. what. Just, just to keep track record of what was actually. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. So in this particular instance, everything that came out echoed, obviously, what he said. Right. So yet the fact that the market is surprised is baffling to me. Yeah, exactly. It's when like those wh- minutes came out. The stock market actually went down like 300 points. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. Jerome Powell meant what he said. He yeah. actually meant what he said. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, so they're actually going to do what they said they're going to do. Shit. He wasn't lying. Yeah. So the uh, Minneapolis Fed president, Neil Kashkari. Neil Kashkari. He's a G, bro. Ball headed yeah. dude. Looks like a stud. Vote, he's a voting member of the FOMC. I'm a big fan of Neil Kashkari. Right. He said on Wednesday. He's, Way more than Mark. Yeah. A little bit more than Mark. Way <laughs> yeah, more yeah, than yeah, Mark. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Neil Kashkari, you a homie. You welcome on the show. Neil. You you did you my yeah. guy on a scale from bitch to homie Neil Kashkari homie yeah Mark Zandy straight bitch straight bitch yeah, yeah. <laughs> bitch Jason <laughs> yeah. you are not welcome on the show anymore <laughs> yeah, brother exactly. yeah what invite so he said on Wednesday he sees the Fed raising rates a full percentage point from the current level of four point two five to four point five percent to a level of five point four percent and then hitting the pause button so if you believe what he yeah. says. That 40% projection of another 25 to 50 basis point hike after the two that we already know, that's mm-hmm. going to happen. So that would be 9, 10. And, I'm, no. Oh, sorry, be, uh, 8, eight nine, 9, and, and then 10. 10, 10 yeah, yeah, at least 10. At least 10. Probably 11. Probably. And I think that's right. And as a matter of fact, he was the actual person that I first heard about taking it north of 5.3% originally. Which, which now just pushes, if that's true, just pushes this whole thing out even further because what everyone's been expecting is for the last rate hike to be in March and then them holding for the rest of the year. We already know that there's going to be a long extended hold. So if there's another rate hike after 8 and 9, then the hold might carry on through into 2024. Do you know the strain? And I know I understand most people aren't familiar with the banking space. Like I get, I get that, but do you know the strain that's on banks right now? I think that's, I mean, I think that's what would be best for the listeners to hear you break down. Why, why this hold in this process, you know. It's incredibly difficult for banks. And I don't care if you're a small bank, you're a community bank or a super regional bank or big box banks, Chase, Wells, B of A, the big names you all know. It, it is incredibly difficult to, to maintain because what's happening right now is your, your deposits, your cost of funds reprices very quickly. Your largest depositors will say, hey, man, it's been a long time since I talked to you. Uh, you how you doing? How the kids? Vacation good? Hey, the uh, Fed, uh, the Fed raised rates again. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm gonna need you to take my uh my three percent rate, and and I saw that you know you guys are offering four percent online for money markets, and I want four percent. Yeah, I need it. Otherwise, I'm gonna take it all out. I'm gonna go and talk to Jay Diamond, brother. So then, what happens now if those people take their money out? What happens to the bank? So now liquidity's pulled out of out of the banking system, right? And banks lend money. Mm-hmm. 
the whole point, the whole point of yeah, banks lend money a shocker, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the whole point of this quantitative tightening process is to pull liquidity to the markets. But then you're also now creating this conflict for banks where their cost of funds, their main cost, the main source of funds for banks are deposits. Mm-hmm. Right? Deposits from people like you, people like me. They lend those out and the loans they, they make are at higher interest rates. And that's the arbitrage, the difference between those interest rates and the rates that they pay out in deposits is their net interest margin, the primary source of income for all the ba- all, all the banks across the country. Did you say arbitrage? Oh, arbitrage. I know it sounds like a sexy term that's it's made so up sexy. on social media, but it's actually been around since pretty much banking started. That was good. But yeah. sadly, it's thrown around like in, I don't know, Airbnb. <laughs> Airbnb arbitrage. I'm going <laughs> to teach you how to do it. <laughs> Woo! Yeah, I hate to break the news here, kids. It is not new and it's all made up. Yeah, yeah exactly. So here we go. But in the banking system right now, what you're doing is these deposits reprice really, really quickly. They go up very, very fast. But you can't make loans fast enough to move the weighted average coupon or the average interest rate in your portfolio. Because when you think about it, if you're, let's just say, a super regional bank and you've got $30 billion in loans. Right. Right? And you make $2 billion in loans a quarter, which is is probably aggressive, but likely and probable. Mm -hmm. Right? That's $8 billion to your $30 billion. That's not enough at higher interest rates to move your weighted average coupon up. Mm-hmm. Yet your price of deposits almost all went up very quickly. Exactly. So now the cost of funds for banks is rising, not to mention their, if they borrow from, the, from their federal home loan bank or they have broker deposits and other, other forms of liquidity coming in. It's very difficult on banks to try to maintain their profitability. Exactly. So that's why you're seeing layoffs in the banking sector now that originally started in like the lending space where their cost of funds was just like, I have a loan from somebody and my interest rate went up. Right. So this is, a, is going at a prolonged pace, a pace that we've never seen in banking before, ever. So what kind of strain does that do on the economy when banks decide to hold off until they wait for some, some form of stability? So the problem for banks is if you can't lend right now and be profitable, you got to kind of wait a little bit. Yeah. But at the same time, your cost of funds is going up. Now, I will say there are some banks that are more liability sensitive or asset sensitive, depending on what, you know, whether they have you know, more loans or more deposits and whatever. What I will tell you is, is the strain that they're, they're all going to feel now is you, you're going to go lean way heavily into adjustable products. Mm-hmm. So if you have a, a business lending group that has index plus margin pricing, or you can do lines of credit or accounts receivable you know, lending or something like that, where it's an index plus margin and it moves up when, when the rates move up, yeah. you're going to be way heavy in that space because it's going to create a little bit less pressure on you to have this static group of loans that are priced out at 5% or 4% holding down your weighted average coupon. There's more, there's more future growth potential in that. Mm-hmm. So you're going to see a, a resurgence back in the business lending space from a lot of these banks and away from some of your larger fixed rate loan products. Right. But a lot of businesses during, during times like this, they're not really looking to grow, right? If they're getting business loans, it's only to meet their capital needs. Well, yeah. I mean, yes and no. I mean, for the most part, most businesses won't try to grow, but some will be able to grow in recessionary economies. Yeah. This, is, this is the new happy personality, Rosie Chris. Yeah. Oh, here we go. I'm trying, I'm trying to give optimism to you, baby. Yeah, let's go. Let's be optimistic. Hey, man, the bank that the bank that we're at now started back then, right? Yeah, we started a bank in October um, 2007. So uh, very doable. Yeah, very doable. And it, it's, it depends on, on kind of what your business plan is and, and time and opportunity. All right. Luck is a prepar- combination of preparation of opportunity. So. You know, your opportunity to do something in a recessionary economy might be great. All of my businesses started in a recessionary economy. Arguably, this podcast started in a recessionary economy. We believe it did. We believe it did, yeah. Yeah. In January. And one, one, day, one day, Ember will declare that's true. And when it does, mm. <laughs> if you guys didn't like me being arrogant before, 
<laughs> the day the National Bureau of Economic Research comes out and says we were in a recession since January 1. I'll give you that hall pass. I'm recording this whole episode in the nude. Like I'm I'm coming in naked. <laughs> we all co- yeah, we all I'm, come in swim trunks. I'm coming in I'm coming in naked. I'm getting lit. Yeah. Oh. And at the lit. end of the show, I'm gonna be like, is that I think the kids nowadays call it Liddy. No, I can't say it like that. Come on. No, I can't do that. We'll get Liddy. No, we, we're not kids. It's okay. You can't use lit. You can't use dank. No, I don't think the kids use dank. They do that, use that's, dank. That's, 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 that's very that's old. Vernacular. That's not no, very old, no, bro. That was like old. two years ago. No, come on, man. You're dating yourself again. I would date me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would date me. Yeah. For sure. So now that we've covered the rosy optimistic speak, let's go back to the negativity, shall we? Yeah. <laughs> Shopify <laughs> tells employees to cancel all reoccurring meetings with more than two people. And I really, really, really loved this particular article. This one, it was an Instagram post, but it was one from Business Week, so it sounds credible. Mm-hmm. But let me let me tell you what the article says, and then I want to give you some philosophies here. That's such a fucked up thing to say. Hey, you got a meeting with two or more people? Take it off. They're Bro- prob- probably not going to be here. Okay, you know more than most, and I know this from working with you. You know what it's like to be in some of these meetings that are, have way too many people, and it just goes on and on and on in perpetuity. The, a complete waste of time. Okay, so here's a quote from the article, and then we can get into why it's a complete waste of Saeed's time, because I like wasting his time. As employees return from the holiday break, the Canadian e-commerce firm said it's conducting a calendar purge, mm. removing all reoccurring meetings with more than two people in perpetuity. Big meetings of more than 50 people will get shoehorned into a six-hour window on Thursdays with a limit of one a week. The company's leaders will also encourage workers to decline other meetings and remove themselves from large internal chat groups. Praise Jesus! I mean, some people there have to be celebrating. Let me tell you right now. First of all, this work-from-home thing has really amped it's this up. It's so great, isn't it? It was it's like, so no, good. no, it's not good. It's so okay, good. stop oh, it. Okay, man, you're being honestly, selfish. Honestly, and it, I, you hurt my feelings. You don't want to spend time with me. There are few things that have ever been handled better, and that was one okay, of them. Okay, you, you want to have this conversation with me, Princess? Why are we doing this podcast remotely, huh? <laughs> Remo- uh, why? We can do this remotely. You can do it from home. I can do it from home. You want to look me right in the eye sockets, and you want to talk to me. Yeah, right. You want to exactly. hold my hand like you're doing right now. Yeah, I'm not holding his hand. Honey. You are holding my honey, hand. Honey, I'm not holding his Bro, hand. it's so fuzzy. It's so fuzzy. Did your wife know about this? No. <laughs> she wasn't supposed to know she wasn't supposed to know and you drink a liquor with the other hand it's very hey, confusing it wasn't me you're sending me mixed signals yeah shaggy it's a slow session <laughs> <laughs> oh, so shit. look man i hate i hate meetings more than i think most people do maybe it's i'm impatient May, I, I don't know what it is i just see the i just see the holes and i'm just like this is a complete waste of time it's uh, the, sometimes you just have to trust people to do their job well yeah and here's what i'll say is it's like look I, I one one the type of meeting that pissed me off the most, and oh man, I can just see people from the office getting pissed off. I'm, I'm gonna say this, but it doesn't it, apply to every meeting. It it doesn't apply to us. No, it applies <laughs> to some of you. Yeah, it does. <laughs> but I hate reoccurring one on ones. Reoccurring one on one, like check ins, like a scheduled reoccurring weekly one on one. I more than most those weekly or bi monthly or whatever meetings. Those are a complete waste of time where you get halfway through it, you don't have anything, or you cancel it because you're not. It's why. If I'm a good manager and I'm I'm your your we're good coworkers, we're a good line of communication. We, we should be communicating all the time. Exactly, getting on each other's calendar, having conversations. First you know? of all, I, I trust you enough to do your job. Yeah, well, there's first, and I don't micromanage anybody. I don't believe in that. If you feel like if you feel like you have to micromanage someone and be a tyrant, let me tell you right now, that is either the wrong employee for you, mm-hmm. or maybe you're an asshole. 
Yeah, or you're not exactly. There's that. I mean, I'm just I'm calling what it your is. Man, your management style is out of whack. You got to trust people to live their life and be an adult. And if you can't trust your coworkers to live their own life and be an adult, and you feel like you have to micromanage them, then you got the wrong coworker. Not not only that, if we're being honest though, micromanaging is not something you can ever scale a business with. Mm-mm. You can never scale a business. Um, you no know, th- there's not enough of you going around to be able to you know check on every little piece of work. You know. Well, you can't. And, and look. You can't expect someone to do something 100% the way you would, but they'll do it 80% the way you would. Yeah. We right? Talked, we talked about it with Adam. We talked about that with Chris No as well, who was on the podcast. Yeah. we we I wasn't on part of that podcast yet, but... Oh, you mean I started this before you? You did, yeah. And then... Damn, then we messed it all up. <laughs> and then, then we fucked around and got a triple-double. A great listener today who gave me some really good feedback about being more positive on the show. Yes. He was a listener from the very first episodes and has binge listened to all of them. Really, and he 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 paid you a compliment. He said you've gotten a lot better since you were first in the show. Really, and uh, I, I gotta I mean, be honest, I, was, I don't know where he sees that, but <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I mean, if, if people are fooled into thinking that it might be a possibility, maybe no. it's the post production stuff. What's his name? Give him a shout out, huh? What's his name? I will give him a shout out. He's asked questions, so I'll get into it later. We'll uh, okay. about, but but uh, yeah, great great questions and stuff that he threw our way. But well, I appreciate you, whoever said that. So, can you stop being the nice guy for the audience for this five seconds? Cool. I mean, you, you is... do this and you try to portray this image of being like a good guy. We know oh, you're not. I'm a good guy, man. I'm better than this guy at Compass. It, oh, oh, I'm not ready to segue. Save Compass guy for a second. <laughs> I'm not done with the whole meeting thing, okay? And his name is Travis Spur, by the way. Travis Spur. Travis the homie. He gave me some great feedback. Appreciate you, Travis. So, look, before we go on to Compass being a completely stupid company, uh, and that's my professional opinion. What I will say is the meeting thing has gotten out of control. Mm-hmm. You should not need reoccurring standing meetings with people. You should be able to communicate effectively. And if you're not doing that thing, I would say you should probably look at your management and communication style and figure something out. I'm not saying you need to tap somebody all the time, but the idea is that that somebody wants to catch up with you. All good. Get on someone's calendar. Do that. You have something to talk about. You should be communicating. You shouldn't be hesitating. If someone's busy, someone's not busy, like I get that things change, mm-hmm. you should feel just as comfortable sending me an email, a text, a call. And if you feel like you can't do that for some reason, yeah. there's a problem. You know what you should start doing? Being less sexy to make No, you got to say, yourself. if you want to schedule a meeting with me, you have to go ahead and log in and leave me an honest five-star review. Ooh! Ooh! <laughs> that was good. Look at you begging for the reviews. <laughs> Let's go. We're currently at 159, not that I would know. <laughs> and the last two of you left us five-star reviews, but there was no commentary. That's okay. We, we, no, my feelings a little bit. And maybe, I love you. I think I think people just don't want them to be read. Maybe they're they're afraid that we're actually going to put them out there and read their comments. Well, I mean, if you are Obama and you're listening to this, you're like, I don't want people to see my name associated with it. I know. It, I come on, Barack. Come on. Him and Michelle, big fans. Big fans of the yeah. show. I mean, you wouldn't know from the reviews, but they out there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we respect you, brother. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so Compass executives execute their third round of layoffs in a single year. Of course, the brokerage says reductions reduce operating costs to be cash flow positive mid-2023. If you read between the lines there, because they're not cash flow positive right now, kids. Mm -hmm. Except there is a fundamental disconnect here. This requires you to cut expenses and maintain or improve your sales activity. Right, exactly. But is that going to happen though? So the, yeah, their business model really, I don't think I don't think it's going to happen. So for those of you that don't know, they're the third largest real estate brokerage company by according to like sales volume and the company went public in April of 2021. So I have never been a big fan. They of they've touted themselves to be like this tech savvy company and everything else and I'll tell you right now that 
I don't really find their tech to be that impressive. They just rebranded themselves like all do and, you know, whatever. But the, co- the company's quote was, the company believes its actions allow for a path to achieve positive free cash flow in 2023, accounting for market scenarios that are worse than Fannie Mae's negative 22.6% estimate for residential real estate transactional volume price in units in 2023. Compass said in, in an SEC filing in which it noted its target yearly expenses are between $850 million and $950 million. 22.6% estimated transaction volume. Is that... So negative. It's a negative. Ne- negative, right? Yeah. So it's like, I, that's going to be the value or transaction volume? So... I feel like the transaction volume is going to be much worse. I got so much to say here. So we saw Fannie Mae's predictions for 2023 change drastically through 2022. Yeah. And it, it, for a long time, they were like, hey, 2023 is going to be positive. They kept adjusting. And it, it adjusted down slowly but surely over time. So I don't know how much confidence I have in Fannie Mae's predictions right now, mm-hmm. given that, that they, they, there was so much volatility over time. With, I mean, they were literally talking about it in the, in the early stages. They were like, oh, 2022 is going to end like plus, like it was like over double, it was double digits. It was like over 10, 15% or something like that. Right. And this is after two years where you had 40, 46, 48% of the total appreciation in home values across the country. So it was mm-hmm. insane increases so compass is huge too right they have like 100 locations nationwide yeah they grew amazingly fast but they also had a lot of a lot of funding a lot of capital and everything else so they're, they're still not profitable yeah I, I, I don't know for sure but i saw that yeah at one point they got like 450 million dollars for like funding seed round funding, yeah, yeah seed round funding yeah yeah and, and i'll tell you it's all hype like, i i still don't understand robert refkin whatever his name is that that uh the ceo like mm-hmm. robert yeah robert refkin i don't understand his i don't understand his cachet in the market Oh, here we go. Compass said it lost 154 million in the third quarter of last year, up from 101 million in quarter two. So they lost. I mean, between the two of them, yeah. that, that's 255 million, along with increased cash burn rate. Investors initially responded well to information. Meanwhile, in like the earnings report, quarter yeah. quarter two wasn't even all bad. No, it wasn't. And and I look at this and I say to myself, okay, like they picked the right opportunity to get into the market. They timed it well. They got capital. But this is not a company that grew, was profitable, grew solely over time organically. Mm-hmm. This is a company that grew super fast in a short period of time. And I always warn people, if you're looking to buy stock in companies, mm-hmm. if you're looking to, to to get into the market, you don't always want to invest in the fastest growing company. Usually right. the fastest growing company is spending all their money to grow that fast. Yeah, or they're they're scaling too fast, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you look at some of the best investors in the world, and of course, I always you know, push to Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger. Yeah. These are people who buy companies that have long-term appeal. Right. They're buying the Pepsis, the Coca-Colas, the companies that have been around for a long period of time, have, have grown at exceptional rates, but stay, you know, consistent rates with staying power over time. Mm-hmm. These, are, these are the types of things that I like to invest in. I know a lot of people will talk about, well, I can make an investment in this and I can get great returns. Yeah, you can do that, but it's been proven out that over time, the best investment you can make is one where you're you're playing the long game mm-hmm. and i know that doesn't give you the the overnight success the wealth you can't be alex or Mosey in front of a screen talking about how wealthy you are giving out advice but that isn't the path you should be aiming for with your investments in the stock market unless you're actively trading every single day and that is your primary job and for almost everyone it is not it is not and it, that you, is, is a very very tall order very very hard task very hard task certainly i mean and don't even start on day trading is a complete fallacy 
Your focus with your investments should be long-term investing in companies you believe in for the long term. And for a long time, Tesla wasn't cash flow positive. Behavioral economics, people bought in because they liked what it was going to do. And Amazon wasn't either. Amazon wasn't either. People liked what they were going to do. They believed they were going to change the markets. And those bets were right. Right. But there are far few companies like that who grow to that scale and change the paradigm. Yeah. So to, to invest in companies like Compass, especially a real estate based company mm-hmm. that has much, I, I I could never do that. I, I never, I've never understood the cachet. I don't really get their growth model. And frankly, I think there's a, a tremendous amount of risk for them in the future. And I think they might even see a fourth round. To, to piggyback more on uh, Warren Buffett and, and the team there, remember back in the day when Warren Buffett made that bet against a head fund manager that a simple S&P 500 index mm-hmm. fund, low cost index funds, baby, to would, the moon, would outperform a basket of at least five hedge funds over the course of a decade. And he did. And he did. He won yeah. that bet. He made a bet for 10 years and he won that low cost index funds won over time. Yeah, that's that's and we had some we got a few questions like that in, in the Q&A and that that would be my go to where to start at. Low cost index funds. Yeah. yeah. VOO, baby. Vanguard mm-hmm. low cost index fund. Mm-hmm. That's fan. where I started. Yeah, is it really? Mm-hmm. Did I tell you to do that, or you do that on your own? No, I do that on my own. Look at you. But you confirmed it though. I told you I was going to do your like good, good call. You know who told me originally? Who? One and only, the professor Nick Norris. Ah, oh, best. The best. Who will never come on the show because he hates you. Yeah. So I saw an article that I was hesitant to talk about, but I thought, even though there's some close proximity to me in the sector and the people that I know, that I thought there was a tremendous amount of value in the education. But I have to narrowly tailor how we talk about this. Okay. All right. Silvergate Bank. For those of you who do not know, it's a Southern California bank. They got heavy into cryptocurrency. They had some exposure to a little company named FTX. Wow. And, uh, well, FTX collapsed. I I remember that. Yeah. That happened. (laughs) There's this dude, um, Sam Bankman-Fried, who um, looks a little like a skinny Jonah Hill. He does? A little bit, yeah. Hmm. If, it's, if Jonah Hill was, you know, a terrible human being. The name sounds familiar. Yeah. And uh, he sparked a little bit of a run on crypto in the markets. Man. It's very weird. Yeah. I mean, you hear about this at all? No. no tell no. me about it. Yeah, it's bizarre. So Silvergate Bank has is down about 42.73% in their shares. Pretty, pretty, pretty bad. <laughs> pretty bad <laughs> drop in, in values. <laughs> they, they were, uh, they had some exposure there to, the, to this FTX. Maybe it's called FTX. But uh, they were forced to sell uh, some of their assets at a very um, steep loss. How how bad was it? Steep. <laughs> when you say steep, what is how bad is steep? I would say the bank lost some eight point one billion dollars in in withdrawals because there was a run on the bank because people said, "Hey, wait a minute, you guys are a crypto bank. Yeah. You had money with FTX. You know what? I want my money back." Yeah, exactly. What does that mean to a bank when people want to take out $8.1 billion? That, that's a, called a run on the bank. Yeah. That's, that's a liquidity problem. All that money that we're talking about them having they need mm-hmm. to make loans, well, that all went out the door. Except banks don't carry your money in cash. They loan it out to people. Yeah. So when they loan it out to people, well, um, they don't keep it in the drawer. Right. And when $8.1 billion in withdrawals comes and knocking, yeah. you got to run your crotch into a, de- into a doorknob or something and start crying because <laughs> it's not a good thing. So crypto-related deposits plunged 68% in the fourth quarter, the bank said, in early release of some of the quarterly results. To satisfy the withdrawals, Silvergate liquidated debt it was holding on its balance sheet. This, so they basically sold their loans yeah. at a loss, mind you. The $718 million it lost selling the debt far exceeds the bank's total profits for at least since at least 2013. Oh, my God. So let me... <laughs> I can't even do it with a straight face. Hold on. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. So, so the bank had a run on their liquidity. Mm-hmm. People said this bank's in trouble because they, they were a crypto bank and they, that's what they were out there for. Right. And I will say shortly after the fall of FTX, their, their CEO, who again is somebody that I, I, I know and yeah, um, he yeah. went on CNBC and he did his best that he could to defend the security of his bank. The like position we, we, are in, we are in good, we are in good standing. Right. But he didn't say they did not have an exposure to FTX and clearly they did. Yes. He didn't say they wouldn't be impacted. He didn't, he tried to justify his model and they're not being as direct a connection to Bitcoin per se. And right. I would say the CNBC interview went um, less than ideal. Yes. And then there was silence for a while. I knew the regulators were probably going to look into it, but then this came up today. Mm. And I was like, oh, this is this morning actually. And I'm reading this article and I'm going like, oh my God. So eight point one billion in withdrawals from the from from the bank. They didn't have liquidity on hand because they lent that out in loans. That they mm-hmm. were making that arbitrage, right? The, yes. The deposits coming in, they right. lent it out in loans, and they had loans at a higher price money. But those loans are now under market as far as their rates go. You couldn't those same loans today would be met at a much higher rate than exactly. when they were made, right? Because they made right. those loans over time. Well, if the rate on those loans is less desirable, when you sell it in the market, you don't sell it at current market pricing. Someone's not going to pay a dollar for dollar on, a, on an asset that pays under market on the right. rate. Right, exactly. So they have to sell them under market to anybody who will buy them. And in this case, they lost almost three quarters of a billion dollars in selling them because they had to sell off enough assets to cover this $8.1 billion demand. So, I mean, are we, are we looking at them potentially closing shop? Well, uh, if their profitability since 2013 to now, nine years. Yes. I, I believe they started in 2013. I have to go back and look at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, in nine years, mm-hmm. it's been eviscerated. I would say it is going to be very, very, very difficult for them to maintain, at least with the current management team in place. And, and who knows what will happen to them. But even if the FDIC came in and took them over, who's going to buy them? Mm-hmm. What? Right. No, the current stance by regulators in the banking world is that you are not to touch cryptocurrency. Right. And these guys were steeped in it. I don't know That's how they I'm, got there. So then what are, is that the regulators stance on it now? Are banks not allowed to, to get into that space or they're, are they only allowed to, you know, expose themselves so much? No, uh, as of right now, um, buy, sell, hold, lending, all that stuff. Until further notice, you are to stand down as, a, as an FDIC regulated institution. Mm-hmm. You were to stand down and wait for further commentary from Washington should that come out. And right now, no bank should be touching it. I don't know how they got in the sector. I don't know how they got approval to do all this. And I don't even want to touch with a 10-foot pole. But what I'll tell you is it obviously didn't go well. And this is part of the reason why it's not going to go for. So the bank keeps almost all of its deposits in cash or easily traded securities with crypto-related deposits accounting for about 90% of its total deposits. Oh, no. And I would imagine most of that's gone. Yeah. It is interesting to note that the regulators have recently warned banks about the risks involving cryptocurrency. And by warned, I mean they have said stay out of it. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. And that's why you have an intern there in the background Googling stuff for you. Good job, intern. He's doing good, yeah. Yeah. 10 out of 10 today. It's, it's, you were, you were, uh, you're much more handsome when it's you do nice. the right job. I mean, it, yeah. it's, it's, it's nice to see that, that this is the sentiment now going around with crypto. Hopefully this continues to go until... And you wonder why the crypto bros hate you, my man. And honestly... Okay, so uh oh, don't don't give me whatever Saeed says from this point forward is his own opinions expressed or implied. Go ahead. You know, the more and more you think about it, and the more and more people that are involved in this space, the terms that they use 
in this space. And it's not just this space, but it's all propaganda, right? Just to keep you in long enough so that they can pull the rug out from under you and make a quick buck off of you. Okay, so you, what you're saying, if I'm reading between the lines here, and I want to make sure I'm, I'm getting what you're saying across the board. Yes. You're saying that all cryptocurrency is a rug pull. Yes. Okay, hi, what's your email address again? <laughs> I'm de- <laughs> that's, all, that's all it is. You, you hear, I, I, was, I was listening to some crypto bros, like, just, I want to see, like, how do you guys still believe in this? Even even now, they believe hardcore, man. It's 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 Be- everything. It's before everything. This, it's, before it's a this cult. Happens, what, this it, bad? That, that's another cult. I'm not going to say that's not, that's not true. I'm not going to say it feels true. it feels that way. I got deep into it. I did get deep. I got deep, and I wanted to know. And I, we talked about in the last but, episode. I was in the forefront of like the technology, and I, I that was important to me. I, I wanted to know it because I thought there was some value in there. I got to be honest with you, as somebody who spent a lot of time into it and got really close to it. Let me tell you, man. It is in fact. The technical term is bullshit. It's, bu- it's bullshit. <laughs> it's bullshit. It's all bullshit. Look, it starts off with, uh, which came first, Ethereum or Bitcoin? Bitcoin came first. Bitcoin came first. And then Ethereum comes around, right? And then all of a sudden, all these other coins start coming out, right? People are like, oh, shit, we can come up with a coin too? And then when that starts to get too much, you know what they do? Oh, okay, uh, let's go. Let, let's create this other thing, NFTs. So another place where we can pull, do another rug pull. And then from there, it's like, I oh, they were called NIFs. NIFs. And then, and then, and then, oh, wait, wait. Now everyone's catching on to this thing. Nifter. Now, now this is all catching on. Let's go find another place where we can do another rug pull. Uh, Web3, the metaverse, buy land over here. Like, what are we doing, guys? What are people? I, I, I never understood it. I, I like, I try, I tried to. I got deep. I, I, I was a, a NFT degen for a little while. I got into crypto. I, I mean, I didn't spend a tremendous amount of money. Again, like I said, I talked about the other episodes. I spent enough to keep close to it, but. Mm-hmm. As somebody who who probably knows more than I should, mm-hmm. I will tell you that I don't see a long term viability in it because it, the, the moment I knew it was not a crypto winter and that things were really bad and it was in fact dead mm-hmm. was when all the popular people in the crypto space, Web three space for that matter, mm-hmm. started calling for centralization, right? Yeah, and regulation. Yeah. When that happened, I'm like, what are we doing? Yeah, this is not what we signed up the for. The whole point of you guys having this was decentralized and unregulated. Right. Who would have thought that would have led to a lot of crimes? Yeah, exactly. Whoopsies. Yeah. It's like going to the gym and having an unorganized basketball game. How many times does a fight break out? I wouldn't know. It's been a long time since I've seen Yeah, but it back hard, when but you did play 30 years ago. I would start a fight every game. Every game. <laughs> every game. Every game. If you didn't, somebody else did. That's why That's why you need jerseys and you need a ref and you need someone keeping score. And, and one. Yeah. Yeah. Every, every exactly. Time. Every time. So uh, I, um, I have some updates from the world of cryptocurrency. I saw. And um, I've got a lot of color commentary in between. Mm-hmm. So I want to pay credit where credit is due. Mario Naufal. 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 Blue check mark. N-A-W-F-A-L. So this was the guy, if you recall, like several episodes ago, I was talking about how there's a dude putting on Twitter spaces and even Elon Musk attended. This was the guy who did it. Right, he's a young guy. I don't. I don't even really know how he got. He rose to prominence in this scene, but mm-hmm. my man, my man is legit. Like he, he, uh, he's really, really steeped in this, and he's. I guess he called himself a serial entrepreneur. So, according to this, he let's see. Mario Nafal is an entrepreneur, an angel investor, and one of the most respected names in crypto. Mm. Probably should have known that. Yeah. Prior to blockchain, Mario uh, founded Frothy HX and Optimum Appliances which represents some of the world's largest kitchen appliance and wellness brands to this day. That seems very weird for a young dude. Mm. In 2017, he founded IBC Group. In 2018, he became a partner in international blockchain legal 
And in 2020, he co-founded and became the CEO of NFT Technologies. Right. That's, he looks like he's 12. Am I missing? Is this the right guy? <laughs> this, this has to be the right guy. I mean, guy. This, this is what he looks like. I but, mean, it's just unbelievably young looking. Yeah, but so this these Twitter spaces that he was he was holding, the information that he was... he was. I don't know that I'm going to let go of him being so young looking yet. I'm a little... What the shit? He's pretty young. Looks like a stud. Don't, don't do that. Yeah, you know he is. You want to say it. Don't do that. No, I mean... I, I guess if that's what you're into. Man, jawline. I don't know. That could be. A, it's very deceptive. I build companies and invest in startups. Yes, you do, Mario Nolfall. Yeah. From Dubai, United Arab Emirates. Okay, so what, 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 what were he the... He uh, money. Yeah, he comes from money. He comes from money. <laughs> <laughs> so what were the... Uh, UAE, say less. What, what, we, when we talked about <laughs> it last time, the Twitter spaces that he was holding that Elon uh, was plugged into, what was he trying to... What was he covering? So he was covering the whole FTX downfall, which is what Said is alluding to, because he basically he basically tried to tell me subtly with the audience, knowing Chris, shut up and move on. Yeah, this is, this is not what they want to hear. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I like that you picked that up. <laughs> so Mario Nelfall posted, uh, Mario posted, remember SBF, you know, the alleged, what are yours, quotes, fraudster mm -hmm. behind FTX? Mm -hmm. Here's the latest, detailed in a thread. I thought the thread was fascinating, and I knew a little, a little bit of color in between. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. He, number one, he pleads not guilty after ex-girlfriend and co-founder snitch. And they, which they both pled guilty. They both pled guilty. <laughs> but he is pleading not guilty. Yeah. He would like to be the record show. Yeah. He is not guilty. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> the next hearing is scheduled in October. He faces a 115-year jail term in total. He may have done some shady things while on bail. Mm. I know you're asking what that is. But what that's, is that? Up, 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 up. we'll get there we'll get there okay yeah. so on tuesday sbf entered his plea in manhattan federal court where he faces eight criminal counts including wire fraud and money laundering conspiracy carrying a total of 115 years in prison mm -hmm. small term i'm sure he'll get out just fine right customer funds were also used and laundered through political donations Ooh, mm. bad 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 Charitable donations and a variety of venture investments. Not ideal there, huh, buddy? No. SBF arrived clean shaved with a blue suit, white shirt, and dotted tie and carried a backpack into the courthouse. He then proceeded to plead not guilty against all charges. Like a weirdo. How does that, how does he see that happening? Yeah. Your, your co conspirators are, are, are working actively against you, and now you're going to be like, I don't know what I did. I I I I, I did it because I didn't know it was wrong. Right, right. And by the way, one of the listeners sent me information on um how the bail how the bail bonds worked out for him. So you know they don't have to pay the full two hundred fifty. No, but they're liable for it. But they're liable for it, yeah. and they only put that in place. And you to, you have to show that you have a net worth that can cover it as well. That can cover it yeah. as well, right? So and that here this is the tricky part. This is the interesting part. So uh, four people guaranteed it. Bro, are you stealing my thunder on this? You son of a bitch. Is, is this coming on this? Yes. Oh, I didn't read it. Sorry. Go ahead. Wow. <laughs> I, I, I didn't know. I, want, I wanted to save it for the show. What a piece of shit move, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. Sorry. Uh, you want to just tell the rest of the story while you're at it there? No, Chief? no, I'll no. I'll sit no. back and no, have I a cocktail. Stop, I, stop, I stopped. I, I held back. What a dick. <laughs> Man. <laughs> All right. <laughs> SBF did not speak to the judge during the hearing. But conferred privately with his lawyers, he shook hands with one of the prosecutors before the, the arraignment. I don't know why him shaking hands is newsworthy, but okay. Right. The government has already secured guilty pleas from two former associates of SBF's, former Alameda Chief Executive Caroline, Caroline Ellison, 
and former FTX chief technology officer Gary Wang. Mm. Saw the name. Who are cooperating with prosecutors and may testify at trial, and by May, they will. Mm -hmm. Since his release on a $250 million bond on December 22nd, Bankman Freed has been subject to electronic monitoring required to live with his parents, Joseph Bankman and Barbara Freed, both professors at Stanford Law in California. And I'd like to point out, this is what happens, ladies and gentlemen, when you hyphenate your last name. <laughs> okay? This is what happens. <laughs> this is So when Joseph Bankman and Barbara Freed decided they were going to hyphenate their last name, and you got Sam Bankman Freed. Yeah. And this is what happens. The, I blame all of this on hyphenated they, last they, names. This was, they did this. They did this. Yeah, this is their fault. You can't just pick one. And by the way... If her her his dad's name was Bankman and his mom's name was Freed, shouldn't it be Freed Bankman? Yeah. Is it a dominant move for her to take Bankman Freed? Because Freed is really the last part of your last name. Mm, I see what you did there. I'm just trying to clarify. Yeah. I'm not a fan of hyphenated last names. Just pick one. Yeah. I don't care if it's hers. Just be a team player. Just yeah. pick one, dude. Yeah. We all, Sam Freed. Team. Yeah. Although he wouldn't be Freed. He'd have to be Bankman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Both professors at Stanford Law School in California. On Tuesday, Kaplan imposed new a new bail condition saying SBF cannot access FTX or Alameda assets because he was still. Yeah. What the fuck? Are they uh, still working? By the way, that came after. Uh, well, I've read things that the parents were not working anymore, but I mean, I've seen commentary both ways. I don't think either one of them. Are, There's no are way. There's yet. no way they can be shown up to the school, right? Yeah, I don't think they're. I think they were Stanford law professors. They, everything I've read, even this this one here by the New York Post, says they are. They they can't be. No, Sam Bigman phrase parents no longer on Stanford Law. Yeah, that makes right. that makes sense. Yeah, because there's no way they can continue mm. working right there. I mean, intern working on over. Can you imagine right college kids, especially these woke kids, coming in like, "Hey, hey yo, professor, <laughs> <laughs> I heard your son's a piece of shit." Yeah, I need I need to recoup some of my funds. Yeah, I invested sixteen dollars in FTX. I want this shit back, man. <laughs> Come on, man. Yeah. Oh shit! I know you got it. You just bailed him out two hundred fifty million dollars. I saw that. Yeah, exactly. Oh, oh god, I would, I would audit that class for sure. So they only have to pay ten percent of that. Even his dad looks guilty, or he's like only he's still twenty five million. Oh god, that's Bankman Freed. Yeah, his mom does seem like she has a more masculine last name. Yeah, why don't do this? I'm just saying she why? looks more masculine. Come on, no. Look, who does she? Who does he look more like? He looks more like the mom, right? Looks I mean, more like the mom. Yeah, he looks more like the mom. Dad's like, stud. Dad, dad, dad looks like he's pooping in that photo. It's a very awkward <laughs> photo. That's poop face, bro. All right. Uh, Mark Colin Cohen, uh, SPF's lawyer, said his client did not, quote, make the Alameda transfers. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's get to Saeed's favorite part before he screws up any more of my, my stuff. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, the United States Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York has formed the FTS task force to trace and recover missing customer funds. But it's in the blockchain. You can find it easily. The records are public record. I guess you have to form a task force to find it easily. Right. Oopsies. Yeah. Kaplan on Tuesday also granted SBF's request to not publicize the names of two additional co-signers for the bonds. Go ahead, Saeed. I have a real problem with this. What? Yeah. How How is this acceptable? Okay, let's let's give a little bit of backstory that you were trying to steal my thunder on before, and then now right, so one, up, of the, okay. one of the listeners sent it sent it to me. So, of the four people that posted the two hundred and fifty million dollar bond, but they only had to pay ten percent of it, right? They paid ten percent of it, which in this case is still twenty five million. Still twenty five million. Still so more than a, anybody in history. That's a lot of change, right? right? So, twenty five million dollars in cash was posted for this bond. 
but you have to show that you have a $250 million net worth and that you can pay the money if SBF were to flee. Hence the the need for additional co-signers other than the mom and the dad. Yeah, because, you know, they're not worth $250 million. I mean, they only work at Stanford yeah. Law. I mean, I mean, but they have a $50 million house. I mean, how much money? They, I mean, that's not enough. If they were though, right? bought, anyway, whatever. Yeah. So long story short, the mom and dad were two of the four. The other two are unknown and anonymous, and the court has granted them continuing anonymity because of the fear of threats that the parents have said that they have experienced being imputed on them, these two anonymous people. How do you feel about that? I feel like, I mean, it would be awkward if they said the president of the United States was one of the people. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, obviously. Yeah. It's not the president of the United States. <laughs> it's it's going to be somebody high profile. Look, he this man donated a lot of money to a lot of people, and I'm sure he said, look, man, I'm not going to flee. Yeah. Just, just post it up. I'm not trying to stay in prison right now. Right. And then he's probably going to flee anyway. Man, this <laughs> is this is unreal. Look, I, look, I I wouldn't want my name out there if I posted it, right? Obviously, what, obviously what good you does it do if 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 they post the name and you know who it is? I mean, really, what what good does it do? Let's sit down for an interview. You got to come on the higher standard and talk it out. I'm pretty sure they would not. Why not? Yeah, because you know what, I've I think you've clearly expressed that you're not a fan of the cryptocurrency space enough to where anybody who comes on this show. I'll be civil. You, I'll be you civil. You cannot be civil. I'll be civil. People think that I'm the mean one. You're the one taking cheap shots. Don't do this. You do that. No. You do that. You stole my thunder on this show like I five did not, minutes ago. I did not. I did you not. Did. I, I did don't not even know you. read what you I post did. in the show notes that I'm supposed to read before every show. That's why I call them the show notes. Bro, don't be bitches, Jason. No, we, it's a bitch session. <laughs> we covered this. Jesus. <laughs> <sighs> Lawyers for FDF's parents have said the parents uh, who signed the bond have received physical threats since FTX's collapse. And that the other co-signers might face similar harassment. I can guarantee you they would. I'd probably be one of the people who are you know, threatening them. 100%. Yeah. Hey, yo, Timothy, you did this? I'm going to fuck you up. Yeah. Hey, I'm coming. From my Twitter Blue or Verified account. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to eat your cornbread. I'm going to eat your cornbread. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Should we get into the Q&A portion? Sure, we can. If we get into the Q&A portion, this thing is going to become two hours. We won't do all of them. How about that? We'll, how about we'll do some? You want to do some of them now? We'll do, do some, some of them. I mean, other other noteworthy things that I, I had on here that Chris just wants to ignore. I want to ignore everything. I'm mad. It's at, it's at the bottom of the show notes. I want to go to the bottom. You want to scroll down? Now, I'm on the top. So you saw uh, Amazon was initially supposed to lay off 10,000 employees. They never adjusted that figure to 18,000. Granted, I get it. Not not a whole lot from based on the total number of employees. Don't they have like millions of employees or some shit? Like a still, man, they adjusted it. I mean, that's. That's problem, right? In turn, how many employees does Amazon have? I'm it, sure it's over a million. And then Salesforce is cutting 10% of their staff. Yeah, Salesforce does that a lot, though. I mean, they, those people are very, like, not stupid, but sales-driven. Oh, no. So so they, uh, <laughs> they, they've had a lot of volatility. How many employees does Amazon have total? Yeah, 2020, 2020 is the most recent number you can come up with, bro. Yeah, well, that's, that's large enough. That's 1.3 million. Uh, yeah, they have over a million for sure yeah. worldwide. And then we already know that they've uh, shut down some locations that they, there were, you go. they were looking um, to build out. More than 1.5 million full and part-time employees. Yeah, and they've shut down some locations that they were trying to build out. So so what? what is 18,000 divided by, is that what you said? 18,000 divided by 1.5 mm-hmm. million? I'm sure it's not a lot. No. So I think they're just taking advantage of 18, 1, 2, 3. Divide by one five zero 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 zero. I'm doing this math in my head, by the way. It also it depends. is approximately one point two percent. Yeah, it's one point two percent. One point two percent. Yeah, yeah. So for them to lay off one point two percent, I'm telling you right now, this is not an economic thing for them. They're just like, we're going to purge all the HR issues. Oh wow. Yeah. Or it was like, uh, let's purge some of these problems. Let's not scale back operations here and there. But th- this is not a big savings to them. Yeah. 
It's probably yeah. everyone on that uh, Alexa chain department. <laughs> they lost a shit ton of money over there. They, they lost a lot of money over there. But you know what? Hey, if they want to get in that business, they can do that. And then um, did you see this thing on the what the FTC, Federal Trade Commission, want, is proposing to do? Oh, you did mention this, and I totally ignored you earlier because I what in oof. what an asshole you are. I am. I'm an asshole. All right, let's go. FTC talk. FTC talk. Federal Trade Commission. Uh, for those of you that don't know, independent agency of the U.S. government whose principal mission is the enforcement of civil antitrust law and the promotion of consumer protection. They're proposing a new rule to ban all non-compete agreements. So I like this. A lot of people like this. I like this, and, and I also don't like it. I mean, you can see how it can, it can get abused. You're, you're paid for a non-compete. There's contractual consideration from mm-hmm. a legal perspective. However, the attorney in me also wants to argue the other side, which is, it's unconstitutional, man. You're going to stop my life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, my ability to work in a competing space? Mm-hmm. Because I worked for you, I can't work against you for a year. Like that's bullshit. So companies often use non-competes to protect trade secrets and other confidential information. What also, trade secrets? What do we do that's truly proprietary anymore? Well, think. Well, you gotta hold on. If you if you're working for any of these tech companies, and okay, they're constant, that's, that's different though. No, but that I mean, shouldn't that, be a non-compete. You should be able to go to a competitor, but you shouldn't be able to compete with the information that you have as proprietary. So if you had. AI algorithmic information that was unique. You shouldn't be able to carry that unique inform- information over there. You shouldn't there. be able to print or take anything over like a flash drive. But I mean, yeah. they still know how to run the whole department. Okay, but let's be honest, though. And then if they leave, they can hire their whole team to come over. Do you truly believe that Google doesn't have corporate spies inside Apple that they say, hey, look, Timothy, you're really good at this. Go get a job at, at Apple in the AI group. We'll pay you money to be there, but you feed us information. Yeah, so he's getting double pay. So he's working two jobs. Yeah, I'm telling you, there's people out there like that. I know it sounds really conspiratorial, but it's real, bro. Yeah, I mean, if it, uh, it's that good, why now, not? I might work for Chase, man. You don't know. <laughs> uh, Uncle Jamie got you over Uncle here? Uncle Jamie's like, listen, we did have a dinner in New York, and he was like, listen. Um, that was a minor flex for those of you that don't know, because that actually did happen. Uh, it did happen, yeah. yeah. It's part of a program, yeah. And Tim Sloan, but Tim Sloan lost his job, so yeah, that's not that's that's not the one you want to cite. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it, it was at Morimoto in um in New York, which is uh, uh right by uh, Google's headquarters. Was it was headquarters out there, that big building they had. It's in um, mm. damn it, I can't remember the part of New York the town is, but it's right by that the, the water. In any event, it, it's so that it gets super crowded, like all New York restaurants does. Do God, I'm stuck on stupid tonight. I That's can't. Okay. Like, I'm okay. just, we'll get I there. Can't get in, I bet it's English. Yeah, chocolate. <laughs> um, but um, so we're walking to Morimoto, and you know, it's this dinner, and you know, the, the school arranged and everything else. And it's supposed to be really cool, but yeah, I don't know what to expect. But it winds up being that they have these partitions. There's not private rooms. Partitions that are like a plexiglass. Right. This is before COVID, like mm-hmm. long before COVID. But they wanted to create like this sense of privacy, and it worked as like a noise buffer but you could see who's behind the plexiglass so there's like all these tables these like plexiglass walls in between them and then effectively like your waiter comes over and they can they can the front of the 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 box is open if you will Mm -hmm. so everyone can see who's in there these dudes are like rock stars in new york right people like taking trying to take photos and shit to the plexiglass. it's weird wow and you know then there's me like okay yeah i'm here guys (laughs) you like banking tag me in the photo yeah i'm nerd (laughs) it was very weird but uh yeah yeah so back to this before you rudely interrupted me. Sorry, um, I didn't mean to interrupt you. It was sexy. <laughs> so if this actually goes through, it's estimated to increase wages by $300 billion per year. What? Okay. How? And expand people's careers. Because there's non-competes, 
someone over at Google can now go after somebody over there and hire them and to come over. That's speculation, and this, man. I don't and know. This, okay, so the chair of the FTC, uh, Lena Khan, said non-competes block workers from freely switching jobs, depriving them of higher wages and better working conditions. I agree with that. And depriving business of a talent pool that they need to build and expand. I agree with that too. By ending this practice, the Federal Trade Commission's proposed rule would promote greater dyna- dynamism and innovation and healthy competition. Can you say dynamism again for me? Dynamism. <laughs> <laughs> right? So uh, here's my thought, okay? You generally don't have a non-compete unless you're at some higher level position in a company. But that's what this article goes on to say, that it doesn't. It also affects minimum wage earners, too. In some instances, minimum. well, first of all, minimum wage earners having a non-compete is rare. But okay, whatever. Here's what I'm saying. If you're getting compensated for the non-compete, you have a contractual benefit of the bargain for having that. Mm -hmm. Then I think that's fair. So I think as a company, what you do is you pivot and you say, look, We'll offer you the job with a, with no non compete mm-hmm. for two hundred thousand dollars a year, but if you sign the non compete, we'll give you two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. Well, exactly. If if that is now an option moving forward, but a lot of times you're coming into these positions and they're just making you sign it as part of your like new hire package. But you know how it's going to work inside the company politically, right? Mm. I'm an employer, and I offer you both options, and you exactly. say I want the two hundred thousand dollars non compete. Right. No option, non-compete. Guess what? You're now held out of all those meetings. No, no, no. I'll still have you in some of the meetings. Mm. But when it comes time to promote you, you know, Saeed, I'd love to promote you, brother, but you're not committed to the company like Jeff over there. Yeah. Jeff signed the $250,000 deal for, and he signed the non-compete. Mm-hmm. I can trust Jeff. I don't know that I can trust you. So it's true. But the reason why I brought up this article is, is you racist? No. Because the last name is Khan? No. Like, this is my people? No, man. Let my people go. If this does raise wages, this goes completely against what the Fed's trying to do. Oh, everything's going against what the Fed's trying to do already. Damn, isn't this crazy? Another government agency that is not working in hand-in-hand with the Fed. Yeah, of course. Dude, no one's working with the Fed right now. Yeah. Everyone's like, there's an election coming up on November 5th, Everyone's like, Jerome Powell, fuck you, dude. Yeah. <laughs> it's cute. You're trying to mess with the economy and everything else, but... Yeah. We good over here. Yeah, I got an ace of spades up my sleeve. Yeah, <laughs> we're trying to keep credit high. Yeah, look, I get it, but I, I would I would say the FTC is not necessarily unilaterally adverse to what the, what Jerome Powell is doing. And frankly, I don't know that this would really get there. Mm-hmm. There's two sides of this from a contractual perspective and a constitutional law perspective, and I really don't know as somebody who's got a little bit of a background in both who would win from a legal perspective because there's there's a good argument that you're getting paid consideration contractual consideration in the form of wages mm-hmm. for that commitment. The article went on to say non-competes are said to affect approximately 45% of the private workforce. No way. That's what it said. Really? 45%? Private workforce. Think about that. That's a lot. That is a lot. That's what I'm, That's why they, they, they project $300 billion in increased wages in one year. I mean, I guess I could see that, but I, I don't know. I'll keep a watch on it. I don't see it changing, candidly. Mm-hmm. And let me, for no other reason than the large companies got a way more lobbying potential than the FTC. Right. And I think there, there's some pull there. But if, if it happens, okay, cool. But I, I wouldn't rely on that happening anytime soon. Mm-hmm. It's my, my, my gut instinct. All right. You can contractually agree to a lot of shit. So. 
Q&A. You want to go into some of them now, and then we'll go into some of the other ones next time? Nah, I think we'll do it all in a singular episode, I think. I think that's probably a better idea. Another Q&A gone wild? Q&A gone wild. Maybe a Q&A, Q&A gone home. <laughs> gone we, home? We, we, we can just, <laughs> can't have two gone wild episodes. It just feels yeah, weird. Depends. I've been really thinking about dropping a third episode every week. I just got to figure out how to do it logistically. We could do it. We could definitely make that happen. I, I think I if think we, people if, need more say in their life. If we uh, if they they want the intern in their life, <laughs> if we, we should uh, do, you, you should have you on an episode where you just read the question. We make fun of you because you speak weird, and then we'll we'll answer the question. Breathe you breathe very heavy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. If you hear breathing in the background, yeah, yeah. we don't have a pet monkey in the background. <laughs> it's yeah, a, exactly. A large monkey. Um, so there was one exit. That clip I wanted to play mm-hmm. on the way out, but I have to give this a little bit of a framed perspective. So we talk a lot about earnings calls that public companies do. Yes. Well, it's not uncommon after earnings calls for um, for someone to ask questions, and usually it's an analyst. And it's not uncommon for these analysts and the executives that that are there to know each other over time. And what they typically do is. They, they kind of get to know each other's personalities and they kind of figure out, you know, who they are and what they do. And, and it, it winds up building this interesting relationship, I should call it. Right. And so, for those of you uninitiated, earning calls is a conference call between the management of a public company, analysts, investors, and the media, like Chris just said. That feels like it wasn't necessary to say, but okay. I mean, our intern pulled it up and he's highlighting it left and right. I'm like, <laughs> I'll, I'll read it. <laughs> All right. Well, so in one such earnings call, Jamie Dimon was asked a question, and he's the current CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase. We talk a lot about him on the show. Also hard. And he decided to answer in his own special way. You would go to UBS and not J.P. Morgan. I didn't say that. I said they, I, that's their argument. That's why I'm richer than you. <laughs> so you would. So on an analyst call, <laughs> J.P. Morgan CEO is so rich, his answer can be. That's why I'm richer than you. Yeah, you would go to UBS, then come to J.P. Morgan Chase. That's why I'm richer than you. Yeah, exactly. Mistake yeah. number one. Yeah, I'm gonna try that the next time you ask me a question. I'm like, <laughs> that's that's why I'm richer than you. That's why I'm richer than you, Say. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's why you're not the arrogant one. No, I'm not. I'm not arrogant. It was oh. sarcasm. <laughs> no, don't do this. Bro, why you gotta make it real? Yeah, it's I gotta, funny I, when Jamie Diamond says it. It's I, I, funny when I say it. It that's is funny when you say it. Damn it. A terrible person. Can't even tell jokes anymore. You run. It's terrible. Yeah, I know. All right. Well, that's all for this particular episode. Unless I has something really ridiculous to say before we sign off. Good night, everybody. Yay, sir. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation on the Higher Standard Podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you were listening to this on. If you like this episode, please write a review and share it with us. You're getting the show up and running right now, so every message, every review, and every note counts. This show exists to showcase what's possible when leaders decide to uphold a higher standard for their businesses, their investments, their families, and most importantly, themselves. If you want to see more of my content, I post daily on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, so be sure to follow me on your favorite social media platform. And with that, it is a wrap. And as always, I look forward to hanging with you all on the next episode.